Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. Oh, we have a treat in the bullpen today. We have one of my colleagues at Sirius XM, Urban View. Remarkable individual, Reese Colbert. She is host of the Reese Colbert Show and has a lot of background. Best-selling author, speaker, advocate, political strategist, renowned for her unbossed and unfiltered delivery. We appreciate what she does for the culture and the country. Reese, good day, welcome to Indisputable. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Richie. Well, we're glad to have you here. We're gonna chop it up about this element going down in California. Mm-hmm. There's an appointment opportunity, governor has this authority. There are some political entanglements that I don't think has been exposed as much as it should. Right. So I'm going to give you the floor to explain to us what is happening inside of the political ranks with this appointment. Well, as you all know, Senator Dianne Feinstein has experienced some health issues. She had an extended leave in the Senate for a couple of months, and people were wondering if she was going to return. Things were complicated by the fact that Governor Governor Gavin Newsom kind of punted the ball in terms of appointing a black woman to replace Senator then Senator Kamala Harris, now Vice President Kamala Harris, into that being a pledge he made if Senator Dianne Feinstein were not able to fill out her term. And so, with her health challenges, the discussion kind of came up again. And you know, based on what I've been told firsthand and based on what's been reported in in, in uh, magazines like Variety, or I'm sorry, um, Vanity Fair, uh, there have been some calculations and some, you know, willing and dealing behind the scenes to try to block Congresswoman Barbara Lee from getting that appointment. She is running against Congresswoman Katie Porter and Congressman Adam Schiff who has a lot of the establishment backing. And so they do not want, a lot of people do not want to see her have that advantage of incumbency by getting that appointment. Now, Senator Dianne Feinstein is still there. She's back in the Senate, so this might be a moot point. But I do take issue with the notion that incumbency advantages is all of a sudden a problem when it comes to a black woman. When there was no problem when Senator Alex Padilla was appointed to backfill Senator, or now Vice President Kamala Harris. That part, that part. And I'm going to expand it into a macrocosm just for a moment. Mm-hmm. Because my dear sister Reese made an impeccable point that must be understood by everyone. When let's say a black person runs for political office and they lose, especially in a southern state, they will say, well, um, it's because we picked a black candidate. Right. Okay. And then mm-hmm. there's all of a sudden this, this prohibition to picking a black candidate as your nominee the next time because a black person lost. However, do the math, more white men have lost political office than any other demographic in the United States of America. And you have never heard a narrative that said this person lost because we decided to choose a white male. You don't hear that narrative. You only hear a different nuanced narrative when the individual happens to be a person of color. In this case, the individual happens to be a person of color and a woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I get the point and I understand it completely. It seems as if there's a push and pull uh, for those, even some of our allies to understand these nuances as well. So I want you to speak to that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a whole notion of electability um, when yep. it comes to black politicians that white politicians are not held to. If we look at a lot of the competitive seats in the 20, year 2020 when Biden Harris were the ticket, there were a lot of white women, to be honest, that did not win those competitive seats. And the, their opponents were white women in those states. And so, um, you know, but there hasn't been a push to say, hey, let's stop nominating white women uh, to run for these Senate seats. And so I don't think that Senator Barbara Lee, or sorry, Congresswoman Barbara Lee has an electability problem. She has a competitive, she has a, she has a, she can actually win problem that people are trying to stop. Because even with the fact that she is vastly out fundraised, her opponents have tens of millions of dollars in fundraising, a whole lot more establishment behind them. And she has hundreds of thousands, maybe a million at this point, I don't know. And yet she still gained significant ground in the polling. When she first started out, the pundits and the and the writers loved to say that she was a distant third polling in single digits. But a new poll just came out that showed her just three points behind Adam Schiff, who is three points behind Katie Porter, all of them huh. within 19, 16, and 13 points. So this is a wow. competitive race. And for her to be this competitive with no money, it reminds me of now Mayor Karen Bass, who went up mm. against the juggernaut. Rick Caruso, who threw $100 million and still lost. And so people are afraid of her, and that's why she's not getting the kind of backing that she needs to get. And that's why they do not want to see her get this appointment should Dianne Feinstein step aside. Wow, electability politics is something quite interesting. I broke this down to my college students about electability because that all comes comes down to a psychological construct. Mm -hmm. Electability is a psychological construct. Uh, and we are psychologically a combination of three E's, experiences, exposures, and environments. That's what we are, experiences, exposures, and environments. Look at what Republicans did with Trump. Hmm. Trump seemed to be the most unelectable man on the face of the damn planet, okay? Right. They decided to cast aside the electability argument. And they chose who they believed would be their champion. Hmm. That excitement was tangible enough to make him president of the United States for at least one term. We have not done that on the left. Progressive policies and dynamics associated with Democratic officials have kept those people quite silent. Mm -hmm. And if there's an electability argument, it's treated as if it's a real conversation. It is a psychological construct, it's a restriction of your own thinking placed upon you by the atmosphere of politics by the powers that be. That's all it is. So right. now you have this electability argument again, right in front of your face. But the person, as you have just laid out very clearly, is not only competitive, can probably take over the field if she had comparable funding. Mm -hmm. And that takes us back to another macrocosm, which is money inside of politics. I don't like money in politics, definitely don't like it in the version that we do in America because it does not create an equal playing field for those who actually want to serve. What are your thoughts about massive money inside of the political realm? Well, yeah, I mean, the reality is that black candidates have a much harder time raising money because yeah. we do not have that institutional support. We don't necessarily have the networks where it's a blank check if you decide that you want to run. And so that's a huge disadvantage that definitely impacts us disproportionately. Um, I do think that there is a bigger push throughout the Democratic Party to have this grassroots fundraising, but grassroots does not necessarily mean organic. It mm. takes money to raise money. And so if you're starting off with less, then you get a less opportunity to raise grassroots funding because you don't have the mailing list and you don't have the millions of dollars to spend to raise another $10 million. So it's not just as simple as saying get big money out. It's also a matter of what you're starting off with that makes the difference. Farewell said, farewell said. 
Um, I want people to uh, get to know you better, right? This is your first time on my show and to understand some of your platform dynamics. Tell people how they can check out your content and you got a game. Uh, I wanna get into this because oh, yeah. what my producers told me, I thought it was quite fascinating. So let's <laughs> talk about that as well. But yes. tell people how they can check you out. So I do have a board game I created. It's actually a segment on my show, The Reese Colbert Show, which airs Saturdays at 3 p.m. on Sirius XM Urban View, the same channel you're on, Dr. Richie. Yeah. Um, and so basically the game is like, it's, it's it's a scenarios game, it's a fun party game where you read off a scenario, it's a hypothetical, and then you determine who's tripping. I kind of kind of fashion it about like, am I the a-hole? But you know, black people, we don't say that, we say, am I tripping? And so right. that's where the game <laughs> came from. I do a segment on my show, I'm actually doing live shows. Clay Kane and I just launched a tour and we're gonna have that as part of the segment. So the website is amitrippinggame.com. And then my website is reesecobert.com. That's how you can keep up with me and my Sirius XM show. I do all kinds of content outside of that. So yeah, that's that's in a nutshell. Your show is um, is awesome. Oh, all thank right? you. It is a fun, authentic, and refreshing show. So um, for those who would like to follow you on social media, how can they do so? So on social media, I'm Reese Cobert on Twitter, Instagram, Threads now, TikTok, and on YouTube, it's Black Women Views and Facebook Black Women Views. Our dear sister, we appreciate all you do. Thank you Thank so you. much. My pleasure.